I don't know what that was. Let me hear one more. Come on, somebody's got better than that. Come on. Come on. Yeah! Come on. Y'all got this. All right, that's all right. That'll work. That'll work. All right, good stuff. Well, hey, welcome to Reckless, everybody. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a little light out there, man. I guess uh, some of y'all had a break and just forgot about church, huh? Little, little light of mine, we're going to let it shine. Not really, kind of a little bit. We're going to kind of sort of let it shine, right? All right, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But welcome. Welcome to all the, the visitors. We appreciate y'all coming to Reckless tonight. We are actually, tonight we're going to start a, a brand new series. Throw our cute little uh, series logo up there, right? Best sermon ever. Best sermon ever. But it's not from me. This is best sermon ever from Jesus. Okay. All right. I'm just, just saying. Let me, let me clarify. Uh, but let me, let me kind of set it up. At, uh, at the end of the school year, at the end of the school year last year, we, we taught through, if some of you were here, we taught through a message in Matthew chapter 5 in the very beginning, which is called uh, the Beatitudes. Okay, I don't know if y'all remember that or not, but we, we spoke through the, the Beatitudes, which is in chapter 5. It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, and for those of you who don't know what the Sermon on the Mount is, it's one of the greatest recorded sermons that, uh, that Jesus actually ever gave. It was at the very beginning of his ministry, and it's one of the first recorded um, records of that. So um, over the summer, after we ended the year, we spoke through prayer, um, which was also part of the Sermon on the Mount, also found in the, the same book, in the same um, passage, and we, we strategically did that. We, we wanted to end the year with the Beatitudes, then we went into prayer, um, because we do definitely believe that nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. So we wanted just to kind of gear you guys up for the new school year, talk about prayer, and, and hopefully you guys have been doing, uh, doing just that. And then uh, the beginning of the year, we, we just finished up a series, which is called The Greatest of These is Love, um, and we covered things like really it was kind of the, um, the, the body of Christ that we're to love, uh, our love for God, our love for each other. Then one week we spoke on love for the lost, love for the word, and then we closed a couple of weeks ago with Jesus versus religion, which um, I don't know if y'all remember my, uh, my little video that we had on there. Um, y'all like that? Come on. That's all I get, really? I thought it was funny, I'm just saying. So that's, that's all that mattered, and it was very fun to make. So, but no, that, that whole deal was just kind of this morality versus holiness, and, and really at the bottom of the line, uh, bottom of the line, I don't know what that means, um, at, at the end of the day, that message was really salvation because God loves us, right? So the greatest of these is love. We just finished that out. And I say all that to kind of lead us back into where we're going to be tonight because we do want to continue teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And we want to finish, um, finish this, this um, sermon that, that Jesus did. And it's in Matthew 5, uh, chapter 5, chapter 6, and, and chapter 7. And it's a pretty long message. So Jesus definitely was preaching for a while. But um, I'm going to recap the, the Beatitudes here in just a minute, but the reason I wanted to, to kind of set it up, um, just to kind of explain, I want to give you all an idea, because we're going to be in the series, um, I don't remember the, the calendar, but it was sometime like beginning of February before we finished this, so um, I want to encourage you guys to be here, because it's going to be a lot of stuff. We're, we're going to tackle, um, I'll just kind of read the, the subtitles of the, the message, and, and one of them is Salt and Light, which we're going to talk about tonight. Um, we're going to talk about Christ coming to fulfill the law. Um, things like anger, lust, we get into divorce, oaths, relations, love your enemy, 
give to the needy. Uh, we did the Lord's Prayer already, but we're going to talk about fasting, treasures in heaven, and there's just a bunch of, bunch of good treats. But I, I say all that just because I want to encourage you guys, man, to, to come and listen because Jesus definitely tackles uh, some very, very important things. And it's, man, it's, it's some tough scripture, but it's, it's good, good stuff um, for us to, to um, just to dive into and, and unpack. So the greatest sermon ever, this, this is it. And Jesus definitely brings it here. So let's just go ahead and, and dive right in. If you brought your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 5, very beginning of Matthew, first gospel. Chapter 5, verse 1, and I'll set it up like this, it, and I'll just read the first verse. It says, Seeing the crowd, it says, He, which was Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, right? So this is his introduction, but if you, uh, if you back up in chapter 4, just to really get the context, uh, Matthew teaches us um, that this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? He's chosen his disciples, he's kind of began to... Um, teach from city to city. He's uh, gone and traveled to these cities. He started doing miracles. He's healing the sick. He's uh, casting out demons. I mean, he's done a lot of crazy things, and and really, he's kind of become a big deal a little bit at this point. Everywhere he goes, people want to come out and see who this guy Jesus is and see what he's up to and what he's what he's all about. And then we come here to chapter five, and that's exactly once again. There's a big crowd. Uh, Jesus goes up on a mountain, his disciples come, he sits down, and he begins to, to speak, and hence the title, Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus is on the mountain about to give a sermon, so glad y'all are tracking there. But verse 2 uh, of Matthew chapter 5, 2 through 12, is, is the Beatitudes, um, which is what we covered last year, but I'll, I'll real quickly uh, go through this. And, and what he begins to speak about is he really lays out uh, the characteristics of the believer, right? He kind of throws out um, the resume, if you will, of what a kingdom person looks like. And he says things like this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, blessed are those who mourn uh, over their sin. Blessed are the meek. Uh, he says, those who thirst after righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. And then he goes on to, to those who are, are persecuted. So keep in mind here that Jesus, who he's talking to, he's talking to his disciples, and there's a big crowd listening, Right? Uh, so he's speaking about the believer here, and this is important because you've got to know who he's talking to. He's talking about followers, uh, disciples, and he's culturally hitting this crowd right in the face with um, who are the citizens of kingdom, who are the blessed people of God. And he says things like, uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, they will be comforted. They shall be satisfied. They shall see God. They shall be called sons of God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, um, so we see here, obviously, in the, the Beatitudes that the believers are the blessed. They're the ones who inherit. But he also says that they will be persecuted on the end, which was kind of a weird way to, to end that. But he says we're to rejoice because we know our reward is great in heaven. So that's where we kind of left off last year, leading through the Beatitudes. And then we pick it up in verse 13. And that's where we're going to hang out here for just a minute. So it's directly after that, that beatitude. Um, I said that just to say, again, remember who he's speaking to. And so here's what he says. Pick up with me. Follow along. Verse 13. Throw the, uh, the uh, scriptures up on the, the screens if you guys can't, uh, if you guys don't have your Bible. Verse 13. It says, you, again, the believer, the blessed, the persecuted, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that, you, or so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says here, right after the Beatitudes, he says that we are to be the salt of the earth and that we're to be the light of the world, right? That's basically what he says. And, and here's, here's what I want you to grab a hold of and, and kind of what the bottom line of where he's, he's going with this to, tonight is influence, Okay, Jesus is speaking here in this particular thing. Like he lays out the resume of the believer and then he kind of says what our influence should look like and he's telling us that this life should kind of bear this fruit the same as salt and the same as light. Okay, but what does that mean? Like what, is, what does it mean when Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth, right? What does salt mean? What does that, what does that look like and how does that have anything to do with, with our, our influence. And, and one thing that you guys need to know, whether you believe this or not, you guys all have influence. Every person in the room tonight has influence over the people that we come in contact with, whether that be you sitting in a classroom or walking down a hall or, you know, at a football game. It doesn't matter. Like, we have a circle of influence no matter where we go. And, and you know, the, the question that, that we really have to ask with that is, are we a good influence or are we a bad? Because we're one of the two. It's like you're never non-influential. It's either you brought something good to the table or you brought something negative. So we're going we're gonna to actually address that tonight. But let's break it down like this. Follow along with me. We're going we're gonna to hit this salt bit, okay? We're going to break it down two pieces. You've got the salt and you've got the light. So what is Jesus uh, thinking about? What is he talking about when he says that we're the salt of the earth? And see, first there's a few things you need to realize. Uh, especially culturally in this time, um, the significance of salt. Okay, salt represented many things. And uh, we'll take a look. Well, what I want to do is I want to take a look at a few of kind of what salt meant to them back then. Then together we can kind of collectively just figure out what that means and, and what that looks like. And uh, first of all, let's, let's do this. Salt was valuable, okay? Back in this time, especially like Roman soldiers, they would actually be paid with Salt, right? It was actually like a currency. Like they literally would work for a wage and then come payday, they would get a big thing of salt. How fantastic would that be if you went to work all week and like, here's your block of salt, right? But that's what they would get, right? It was, it was actually very, very valuable. It was actually like silver or gold because it was used for so many things and it was so important to them culturally. So that's one thing, it was valuable, okay? Salt also was a covenant or an agreement. Like it was used in this manner, especially in, in some countries where it would symbolize like an agreement or a contract, which is kind of weird to us, but that's just how it is. And, and I think that comes from um, really more Old Testament stuff uh, where they would literally take salt and they would rub it on animals before they would like do sacrifices and have these ceremonies. And it just represented that they were actually making a covenant before God or before someone else. And still actually even to this day in some countries when they partake of salt together, it symbolizes like... Uh, a covenant. So I like to think of it as like, a, it's like a pinky swear somewhere. Like they are coveting something. I don't know what that means, but anyway, yeah. Give me a little giggle, something, please. There we go. Okay. I appreciate you. Um, that wasn't funny at all. Sorry. Um, 
But anyway, so so it was used as a a covenant or an agreement, okay? Another thing it was used for is uh, to season food, all right? So we can actually track with that one. That one makes a little bit more sense, right? Salt is actually used even in our culture to season food. And, you know, it's very easy. Like, I think about two things. When I think about eggs and I think about potatoes, when I think about, like, they desperately need salt, right? Do you guys like eggs? Do you like eggs? God, I can't even see you, right? Do you like eggs without salt? Right? It's pretty gross, isn't it? Okay, what about like potatoes? Potatoes? But like a dry, what about just a good old dry potato? Like no seasoning, no nothing, right? They're nasty, right? But you throw them in some grease, pull them out, throw a little salt on there. They're like yummy, right? I mean, that's like McDonald's theme. And, they, and they've got like that powdery salt that's like super yummy, just saturates it, right? You might want some fries right now. Anyways, so yeah, it's very, very simple. It was used for seasoning food, right? It made things taste good, right? So it was valuable to them because they were eating bland, nasty stuff. It was also used for, uh, for medical purposes at times. And uh, just to give you kind of a, a common example, like in this time, they would, and this is kind of weird, but it makes sense. They would actually give birth to a baby. They, it was actually women, they would give birth to, to babies. And they would take salt and they would like totally just rub it all over the baby, which is weird, right? But they would do that because if there were any like cuts or, um, you know, if their skin wasn't right and then they got to cut the umbilical cord, there's like open wounds and stuff. But salt was actually used to um, stop any infection. It would help clean and it would actually act as a medicine, right? And we even use that today. Like has anybody ever had piercings and got the little H2 salt or whatever stuff? I don't even know what it's called. It's called something, but it's like water and salt, saline salt, right? Saline, right? Same thing, same stuff. It's used to stop infection to help, I don't know, H2 something. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Anyways, so it was used for medical purposes. Another thing it was used for, and this one's not really as positive, but um, this is actually pretty dirty, but they would use it for uh, destructive purposes. Okay, it was very common in this day, like if somebody made you mad and you really wanted to like have revenge or, or really go after somebody and, and really, I mean, you could ruin people's lives in this case, but they would take salt and they would spread it all over their crops, right? They would literally like just douse it all over their, their crops and it would kill anything. Like it, it would, I guess it would like absorb all the moisture and it would just kill it and it would like actually get into the dirt and like you couldn't fix it. Like your land was literally ruined or it would take just a lot of work and a lot of time. So people would use it in, in kind of a destructive manner. So it was almost used as a weapon at, at times if you wanted to destroy a city. So that was another thing they could have been thinking about. Um, and then here's the primary thing that salt was, was used for. And I want you to kind of listen and grab a hold of this one. Uh, they didn't have refrigerators back then, right? They didn't have refrigerators in, in Jesus' time. So they would actually take salt and they would take meat and they would rub salt all over the, the meat. And it would like absorb and soak into um, any kind of meat. And what would that do? You guys know? preserve, right? It was used as a preservative, which still to this day, sodium is, you know, if you ever pick up like a can of beans, it's disgusting how many like things of, I don't know what I'm saying, the measurement of sodium that's in them. It's just, it's nasty, right? But it does, it preserves things for like a really, really long time. You can have a can of green beans sit on your shelf for like 15 years and it's still fresh and yummy when you open it. That's just disgusting, but it, uh, it, it is true. Like sodium will preserve things. So that's why it was another reason it was valuable because they would use it to preserve their meat, which would have been a, obviously a health issue um, because meat will spoil if it isn't preserved and then you get sick and 
have things coming out of you, and it's not good. So uh, they would use it for, for preserving. Okay, so here's the reason I want to throw these out here, and this is what I want to do. There, there's a lot of things that could have been running through these people's mind when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, right? So I, I just wanted to kind of culturally bring us into this place because to us it's like, okay, what does that mean? Like I'm a salt shaker. Like what, you know, I don't know. You know, but for them it meant a lot of different things. So, but there are some applications that I want to take from this. So, so let's just go through these one by one. You've got the, the value bit, right? Um, they might have been thinking about this value, like our currency. Like, is he saying I'm the money of the earth? Or is he saying like I'm the, the, the gold or the silver? And, and you almost could have had like a, a, a prideful twist on, on that one to think, oh, well, I'm, I'm like valuable. God's saying I'm valuable. I'm the most valuable person on, on the earth. And uh, maybe if people like see how awesome I am, then they'll like join the club and come follow Jesus, right? So that could have been one thing. Like there's maybe some application to that. I mean, Jesus does say that, uh, or, or in the scriptures, it does say that we are ambassadors of Christ. It says we are, you know, kings in this world. So, you know, maybe there's some, some application there, right? The value bit. Or what about the, the covenant? This one's a little weird, but uh, maybe we're to be like lawyers, right? Maybe they're thinking, okay, well, covenant, agreement, like it means that. So maybe we're to be, I don't know, salt in the manner of like making sure this world like is lawful and everyone is like honest and you know, on and on and on. So maybe we're like supposed to be like judges like that to kind of bring order and keep things like legit in uh, society. Maybe that's what they were, were thinking. Or, or what about the seasoning bit, right? Maybe they're saying that uh, Jesus is expecting us to spice it up a little bit, right? Like it's kind of dull. Maybe we should, you know, bring some flavor to this. And, you know, the only problem with that is if you really think about it, especially in today's culture, it's like, as a Christian, are we the life of the party? You know what I'm saying? Like, are we there? Like, this party is lame. Wait till the Christians show up. Then it's going to be like, yes, right? If anything, we're kind of like the, we're the downers, if nothing else, right? We show up and conversations change, like hide their little beers. And you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, oh, the Christians are here, right? So I don't, I don't really think, I mean, maybe, like, there, there is some application there because maybe he was talking about, you know, spice it up a little bit, like bring flavors of joy, right? Flavors of love or peace, or, you know, we kind of flavor it. And I don't think there's some application there. We're, we do spice it up a little bit, right? We, we, we bring some, some freshness when it comes to that. So maybe that's what he was talking about. Or what about the, the medical idea? And I like this one, uh, because I can actually really track with this one, right? We live in a sick, dying world who desperately needs healing, right? I mean, there is a lot of cases where when people are hurting or when they're sick, they, you know, come to the church, and we are somewhat of like a medicine, you know, at, at times. So maybe maybe that's what God was, was talking about. But, you know, I think about medicine too, and this one's kind of funny, but, um, especially when it pertains to salt, like, have you ever had a cut and like jumped in the ocean? What happens? Right. It burns like crazy. Like it stings. Right. And so maybe, maybe they're thinking like, oh, Jesus wants us to like be the salt, like to go rub it on like the sinner's wounds and like, you know, be like the wrath and like make it sting. And, you know, and I've met people like that. I'm not gonna lie. Like they enjoy, like, let me throw scripture in your face and make you feel like, you know, dirt because you know what i'm saying it's like here to make the sting a little bit right they kind of rub it in and maybe that's what he was talking about right and and you know i mean that should honestly happen sometimes right i mean if we do speak the truth um you know we as the church we are supposed to speak truth and sometimes it does sting a little bit sometimes you may step on toes a little bit so you know maybe there was some some honest uh honest you know application there or, or what about destruction I don't think I need to talk too much about this one. Like, there's not a whole lot of application where God wants us to, like, 
destroy people, right? Um, but you read the Old Testament, God did use men sometimes to destroy evil cities, right? Like he would literally send people and like wipe them out because they were evil and sinful. So that could have been running through these people's mind. I mean, they would have definitely known the Old Testament. So maybe they're thinking, I don't know, let's go douse their fields. Like that's what we are. We're going to go destroy people. I don't know, maybe. Um, and then the last one, this, this preserve uh, bit. And to me, this really kind of brings it all uh, t- together. To me, the, the preserving is what I truly believe that Jesus was, was meaning here in the very beginning. And if you remember, they would take meat and they would rub salt all over it and it would preserve it. It would make it last for a long time. Um, so here's the thing. So, so really, and, and this is what I want to say. This, this is where I'm at because um, the reason it needed the, to be preserved is because why? Because it was spoiling, right? And you think about our, our earth. You think about everything dies. It's all dying. It's all decaying. Like since the fall, since sin, since um, you know, man has messed up what God has created. It's kind of on the down slope, right? Things die, people are decaying, like we get sick. We, we as people, we don't live forever, right? We're all um, gonna die one day. Um, so we're, we're in a decaying world and, and I really think there's just a lot of application here. So I really think that he's saying that we're to be this preservative. We're almost like an like a antiseptic, right? We live in a world and if we're you know, representing holiness, and Christ-like character, um, and we're doing all these things. Even like we mentioned, I, like I said, I think there, there is some medicine application. There maybe is a little flavor, um, you know, and at times, you know, it may sting a, a little bit, the things that we do, but I think in the process, we're preserving the world from going completely corrupt, right? And, and one of the truths that we definitely need to understand is that our world is fallen. It's corrupted by sin, and it's decaying, right? And Christ here, he says, we are the salt of the earth. And he doesn't say that like we might be or that you ought to be. He says, you are the salt, right? And, and I wanted to point out in, in the original language of this text, I did a little bit of research when he says, he says you, right? And, and he's not only specifying who he's talking to, but that word itself, you in this passage, it's almost like a you and you alone. Like you are the only salt of the earth. So it's real important to, to look at that and he's saying like, you're it, like it's it. You're the only preservative that this world has. And then, but Jesus mentions, he says, but if you lose your saltiness, like you're good for nothing, right? He gets kind of harsh almost in that passage. He says, if salt loses its saltiness, he says it's good for nothing, but to be thrown out and trampled under men's feet, right? So he says that that, it's just useless at that point if we lose our our savor. And, And here, um, you know, like I said, that, that we're just, that, that we're no good, we're, we're nothing. Um, so the question, I guess, at, at that, you know, from the, from the very beginning of, of what I wanted to, to really ask us tonight, when we think about influence and we think about um, what kind of influence do we have, I think we need to ask ourselves, are we truly salt to the world? Are we, are we preserving what God has made? Are we preserving people or are we more part of the decay, right? And, and what causes the decay? It's sin, right? It was the fall. It was the fall of man. So are we adding to the rapid decay or are we actually being salt of the earth? Is your influence, is it preserving or is it speeding up the decay? And see, um, good influence preserves, bad influence decays. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with that? 
And then let's go on to the second uh, little part of, of this bit. Um, he says, he says, you know, the, the ask, you know, or we should ask this question: uh, Are we light, or are we darkness? Right? And let's let's dig into this and really open up to to this light piece of this passage. Um, in fourteen, uh, verse five, uh, verse fourteen through sixteen, he says, "You," and it's kind of that it's that same word. He says, "You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp." And hide it under a basket, but they put it on a stand so that it will give light to the whole house. So not only are we the salt of the earth, but he says here in that same manner, that same word, that we are the only source of light in this dark world. He tells, um, so that tells me one thing, obviously, that, that, you know, not only is it decaying, or he wouldn't have told us to be salt, but also that it's dark and it desperately needs light. And Jesus says that we are that light. He says that we're the only light. So what is light? And then what is, what is darkness? What does he, what does he mean by that? And, and listen to the scriptures. I'm just going to really almost for the rest of this, this talk, I want to unpack uh, some New Testament scriptures here that really talk and, and open up this word light so that we can really see uh, what it means. I mean, if you do a, if you do a word search in the New Testament of light on, on any kind of Bible application, you'll find hundreds of, of verses that you can read through. And it just, I mean, it fascinates me how, um, how this all comes together. But I just want to read some of these. I'm not going to throw them up on the screen. So you guys just really track with me and listen to the words of God. I mean, I, one thing I love about, um, you know, when it's time to get up and teach, um, sometimes it's good to just read the word, right? It speaks for itself. It is the words of God. It's obviously going to be a lot better than anything I could have thought up. So let's just listen to the words of God as to it pertain, you know, as it pertains to this, this idea of light. In John chapter 1, verse 3 through 9, he says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God who was named John, and he's talking about John the Baptist here. And if you remember John the Baptist, his mission or his whole ministry was preparing the way for Jesus, right? And that's what this passage is talking about. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, speaking of John, he wasn't the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone who comes into the world. So who's the light? It's Christ, right? Christ is the light. Let's keep going. John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, same book. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed, right? People in the dark, they don't want to turn on the lights sometimes, right? Because sin is exposed. And that's exactly what it says. It says they loved their darkness for they don't want the light because then they should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And then in John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. First Peter 2, 
Verse 19, but you, speaking of the church, speaking of of the nation of Israel, which we become as believers, part of this, this nation, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. And then Philippians, I can't say it any better than this. This is the Apostle Paul begging the church. He's preaching to the church that he's leading. He says, therefore, my beloved, he says, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of God so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. And this is the Apostle Paul again. He's, he's begging the church like I'm begging you tonight of please just let your light shine before men. He says, he says, we're in a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as, as lights in the world. He says, hold fast to the word of life so that in the day when Christ returns that I can be proud that I ran this race and, and that I didn't run it in vain. And again, this is just this challenge where he's just throwing it out there, just begging, please let your light shine. Because if at the end of the day, if our light doesn't shine, then we're doing this in vain, like we're doing this for nothing, right? It's almost like salt that has lost its saltiness. It's just, it's useless, it's pointless. And so to make it very simple, Christ is light, which we can see very clearly from these passages. So we're to be the light, therefore we are to be Christ to a world that is dark and desperately needs hope for salvation. And I love this analogy, and you've probably heard this before, but it's almost like Christ is the sun, right? He's the source of light, and we're like the moon that reflect his light and light up the night, right? It's just a cool thought, like Christ is the source, he is the light, and it says that he is the light, but then he says you are the light, right? Because he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us the moment that we say yes to him, and he empowers us to let this light shine Christ says in this passage, he says, he says, you're a city on a hill that can't be hidden. Meaning that when we come together as the body of Christ, as light shines and the world will see it. I mean, think about, think about a city. I actually did some cool uh, Google searches and I was going to throw some pictures up here, but um, have you ever like looked at the, the Google maps or like the Google earth where you can actually like see pictures of whatever, but I Googled um, major cities at night, like satellite photos, and you can literally, like, and it's cool too, like you can even see like the shape of the United States, you know, whenever you look at the light, and I was just thinking about what Jesus was saying here, especially back in this time, it's pitch black, there's nothing, no electricity, but you have a city up on a hill, man, with all the, sh- all their lights turned on, like you can't miss it, he says it can't be hidden, and I loved those images, because that's exactly what he was, that's exactly what he was talking about, that we are a light that can't be hidden. And then he says, man, you don't light a lamp and then hide it. Like you don't come to, to, to reckless learn, get fired up, get all this stuff, and then just kind of tuck it in your car and wait till next week, right? He says, no, you put it on the stand so that people can see your light, so that everybody in the, the house will, will see. And, and so again, the question that we're asking tonight is, are you light in the darkness, or are you blending just fine in the dark, right? Or do you even prefer 
to be in the dark because sin is then exposed once we turn the lights on. And here's how he closes. Don't miss this. It's the very last verse of this little section. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, it's all about God's glory. We shine in the darkness for one reason and for one reason only, and that's so that our good works will be seen by others so that God will be glorified, right? It's not so we'll be glorified. It's not so people will pat us on the back or say, man, what a great guy he is or what a great girl she is, right? We let our light shine so that God will be glorified. And, man, you really think about that. Um, You know, James even asked us a question the other day in, in our leadership Uh, meeting he says what is the purpose of the church like why do we even exist like what is the point why why did god come to save us right and you really think about that and you can come out with a lot of different things well it's for us to go out and to love people and to serve and to give and to you know to worship and, and all this stuff when the reality if you look through all of scripture the point of the church is to bring god glory your salvation is only exists to bring God, glory, right? God is holy, he's perfect, he's just, and he's chosen us to be saved so that our light would shine, so they would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, so it's all about him. So one more time, uh, what's your your influence look like? Are you salt that preserves? Uh, Are you light shining together, exposing the darkness, causing others to see your life and cause them to glorify God? Right, so that's the question. That's what I want us to, to ask tonight. And as we as we close and as we pray, I'm gonna go ahead and bring the bring the band back up here because we're we're about to blow it up and, and worship here in a minute. Um, but as we do that, I want to take a minute and just kind of talk real seriously with you because it says we are the light, we are the salt, we're the only source, we're the only thing that preserves this world from decay. Right, we're in a fallen world. There's sin everywhere. Um, you guys know the darkness in, in the halls of your schools. Um, some of you know the darkness in your homes. And, and it says that we are to preserve. We are to not add to the decay, but to preserve and to bring flavor and to bring medicine and all these different things. So ask yourself that question. In your circle of influence, whether it be your family or your friends or whatever that looks like, are you truly salt to them? Are you truly coming together Um, as followers of Christ and are you truly being the light in darkness like what is darkness I mean think about it darkness really doesn't even exist all it is is the absence of light right you take light away and it's just dark you take Christ away and it's just dark that's exactly what it is it says we're to be light so that darkness so that people's eyes can be open so they can see the truth in in your life so if y'all would bow your heads with me real quick I want to pray and I want to speak directly to uh, maybe some of you that are here tonight that uh, maybe are in the dark, maybe have never truly put your faith and trust in Christ, never truly become, uh, became this, this people that we read about, the blessed and the, the ones who thirst for righteousness and the meek and the, the, the merciful and, and all these things. Um, I just want to challenge you tonight um, with the, just the, the very simple truth of the gospel. Uh, like we said, man, we live in the darkness. We were born into the darkness, and every one of us are sinners. Every one of us. We've all sinned. Scripture says we sinned before we were even born. I don't know how that's possible, but that's what it says. We were sinners before we were ever even born. 
And I just want you to know, man, that God in his mercy and his grace and his love for us saw our desperate need of salvation and knew that there was nothing that we could do on our own to rescue ourselves from sin because scripture very clearly says because God is holy, sin must be punished with death and eternal separation from him. And it's only through righteousness and perfection that we will enter the kingdom. And that's what Jesus came for. God, knowing that we couldn't accomplish that, wrapped himself in flesh and came, lived a perfect life and became a perfect sacrifice for every single one of us so that if we put our faith and trust in him, that he would save us. And then after he was crucified and shed his blood, which was the payment, he rose from the grave three days later, defeating sin. He defeated it, it's over, the work was finished. And all it says is that if we will believe, if we will confess, if we will ask him to save us, then he will come in and just invade our lives. He'll forgive us, he'll save us. So if that's you tonight, if you're in the dark, if you've never made that decision, I just want you to pray with me and I wanna pray for you. Um, This isn't like a magical prayer. It's not like a repeat anything after me. This is between you and God, but just say something like this to God. Say, God, I'm, I'm a sinner and I know it. I sin every single day, God, and I desperately need your forgiveness. God, I know there's nothing I can do to be perfect. I know there's nothing I can do to save myself, but the best I know how I'm asking you, God, to just save me. I believe that Jesus was God. I believe that he came and paid the penalty for my sin. And I believe that on the third day, he rose again, defeating sin for all time. So God, I just pray that you will save me. Save me, God. And if you prayed that, or if you cried that out, scripture says, if you confess that, that you're saved, that God comes down and he rescues you and you become one of his children. And when Jesus comes back, which he is coming back to take us all home, it says that you'll stand before God one day and then he will see nothing but Christ. He'll see nothing but perfection, nothing but righteousness. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's good news. So if you made that decision tonight, I just ask and challenge uh, you to speak to somebody, whether it be me after the service or your small group leader or just somebody. There's leaders all over this place. Let them know you made that decision so that we can help you, pray for you, and uh, send you send you on this journey. And then for those of us that are here tonight that, uh, that, that do know Christ, uh, but maybe our light's a little dim. Maybe our salt's not quite as flavorful as, uh, as it once was. Um, the, the beautiful thing is, is, is God is for us. And God is the one who gives us strength to be bright lights in this world, to, to be um, the best tasting salt um, and, and to preserve uh, what, what he's given us. Um, so tonight as we worship, I just ask, man, get on your faces if you need to. Come up front, let's pray, and let's ask God to forgive us maybe for uh, things that we're involved in. Ask him to rescue us um, from maybe a, a dark place uh, that we might be in. And let's let God just preserve us tonight so that we can be the salt and the light to this world. Let me pray. God, we love you. God, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for salvation, God, that you've given us this gift that we can uh, be forgiven, that we can be cleansed, that we can know you, that we can be called your children. I pray for those out there tonight, God, that are struggling with this decision that they'll just quit thinking about it, quit playing games, God, that you'll just convict them right now of sin, God, and the penalty and the weight, but God, just lift them up with the freedom of salvation and forgiveness. And God, for those of us that are struggling, maybe in a dark place or 
uh, maybe just in a, a place where we're just feeling down and out. God, I pray that your spirit would lift us up. I pray that we'd be open, we would be honest, and that we'd put it all before you. God, and I just pray for great things for, for this group. We love you so much. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.